Amen. Boy, when you listen to those songs and you see the words on the screen, there is a whole lot of truth in there that uh, is wonderful. The basics truth, whether it's not really it's the, the core of Christianity, the gospel, which is awesome. Isn't those kids learning it? And to me, for the future of our country, where our hope is, is not in who's in the White House or who owns Congress. It's the children. The future of America really depends on our children understanding the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is, who God is, and how he's going to interact with our life to make a difference and make America truly great again. Amen? Amen. So today we're looking at a story. We're continuing on in the life of Daniel. We started off week one where we're talking about we had to stand out in the world, right? And then we had to stand up. Last week we said we had to stand strong. Today we're going to focus about standing in Christ, standing in his truth. When conflict comes up, we find in the story that Daniel now is about 87 years old, and that's a a good thing when you think about it. You're never too old to be used by God, right? How many people in here are over 87? Over 80. Okay, well, God's still going to use you. He's still got plans for you, which is awesome. He started using Daniel at age 15, not much younger, I mean, not just a little bit older than the kids that were up here but he kept using him all his life. And that's the encouraging thing that we can look at. It started off by talking about when he was getting in this third year of King Cyrus of Persia, there was a great conflict. And what was happening here is chapter 10 goes through chapter 12. It's his last vision, and it's really about what's for the future for Israel. There's some hostility in the land. A lot of the Jews that were taken into captivity have now gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, but a lot stayed because they got culturized. They got used to being in Babylon and being in that culture. And guess what? They got converted. They got changed. And that conflict for, for, for Daniel was that he saw a lot of his countrymen go back to rebuild, but some were still there far from God, and it troubled them. What I love about Daniel, whenever anything got conflict came in, and we live in a world in conflict, Daniel always did the same thing. He humbled himself. And he got before his God on his knees, and he prayed. To me, when you have a heart for what God has a heart for, he will give you the desires of, his heart, of your heart, right? So the, the key part of that phrase is when you have a heart for what God has a heart for, he will give you the desires of your heart. John said that, right? When you prayed according to my will, I will hear from heaven, and I will give you what you ask for. The key is, are we in his will? Do we have his heart? And do we understand his plan? How do you make God laugh? This is a little, how do you make God laugh? Does anybody know? Tell him about your plans, right? Because <laughs> God has the plan. God has a plan for our lives. He goes on in verse 7 and he says, Daniel I, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but great trembling fell upon them and they fled and hid themselves. Sometimes we've got to recognize that God has something just for you, not for everyone else, and others won't understand. Sometimes it's just for you. Sometimes God wants you to walk alone on the path of his plan for your life. And the beautiful thing about it is he talks about it in such a way that should give us confidence as we see in the passage. God is going to move some of you. Some of you are just wondering how quickly we can get to the food line after service, right? 
He goes on to say that, so I was left alone. I saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. The strongest of men cannot bear the weight of God's holiness and glory. The strongest, most spiritual men, Billy Graham, couldn't stand the weight of God's holiness and glory. Because when you're in front of a holy and righteous God, you can do nothing but get on your face before him and bow before his greatness. And that shows the heart of Daniel as he does this. The first main point that we want to get to today, the three truths that we want you to pull out of this, is in Daniel 10, verses uh, uh, 10 through 11. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Isn't that cool? God loves us. The kids sang about it, right? For God so loved the world. God loves you. I know it's a point that people hear and we say over and over again, but it is true. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how you feel about yourself, God loves you. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And conversely, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. It's who he is. As a parent, you kind of understand that. I've got four kids. I love them all. But sometimes they do some things where I don't like them. (laughs) I love them, and they're mine. And I'm going to do whatever it takes in their lives to help them get to a better place in our relationship. It's the same with God, right? He loves us. He doesn't care for some of the things we do or some of the things we think, but he never stops loving us. It's who he is. It's the basic, basic truth of Scripture which sets everything up. The second point is God is doing more than you know and can comprehend. In Dan, the next two verses, then verse 12, And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. Do you get that? Your words, the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself, your words have been heard. The minute you begin to pray, in accordance to God's will after his heart, he hears your prayers. That's a great truth, to know that God hears. He goes on to say, um, and I have come because of your words. In other words, I've sent aid, was sent to you because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. Here's the part of the story I think it's really important for us. Daniel starts to pray. He knows that he's got to have God's intervention in this situation because there's conflict, right? And God's purposes seem to be being attacked on both fronts. And so he goes to God in prayer, and the minute he does that, as he starts to pray, God sends someone to him who gets blocked by the king of Persia. King of Persia is referring to the enemy of God, right? To the devil. And it's interesting because we know this. We have to understand a couple of things that's important for us before we move on this point. One is we have to know that Satan is active. The enemy is active in our lives, right? Ephesians says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
against, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all you can, stand firm. In other words, stand in my truth, therefore. It's kind of an interesting statement. We fight against principalities. I know a lot of people are thinking, woo, 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 right? But the conflict that's there is this spiritual conflict that we can't see. See, what the Bible says is that everything you see that's physical and visible starts with that which is spiritual and invisible. The conflict is going on all around us, the cosmic battle between the purposes of God and those who are set forth to thwart them. The issue for us is we need to be aware of that, right? If you're aware, you can fight him. The greatest tool the enemy uses is to think he doesn't exist. It's amazing. You ask people in America, do they believe in God? And you'll get a vast number of people that say yes. If you ask them if there's such thing as a devil, you get a small amount of people that would say yes. You can't have one without the other. Isn't that interesting? When you look at it, the devil wants us ignorant and unaware. He wants us ignorant and unaware. Why? Because if we're aware, we can stand in Christ and fight him in the areas where he's trying to thwart the word of God. And we have to recognize that it's not the circumstances of the people in our lives that we're fighting. It's the force behind them. The influencer behind them. It's not your boss or your neighbor or your wife or your kids. It's the influence of the enemy in the world. That's why Jesus said, I'm not of this world. This world has been corrupted by the enemy. And the greatest attribute that we have in Scripture is to be aware. First Peter says, be sober-minded. In other words, be in the right mind. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. For him, it's always game on. And you're the victim. You're the prey. And if we don't stand in Christ, he will devour. He plays for keeps. It should always be game on for us as a church, as believers. More importantly, not only do we have to be aware that he's out there and he's working against us, we have to be aware of his methods. He has schemes. He has plans, right? We just read in Ephesians, stand against his schemes. First John says that his schemes are basically three. It's pretty easy. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. Here we go, the three. The desires of the flesh. And the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world, right? The desires of our flesh, the desires of our eyes, the pride of life is what he uses to defeat the work of God in our lives. We talked about that last week. It's interesting when you think about it, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, and I love every time Paul uses the phrase so that, because it's important that we know why he's saying so that. He says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. In other words, he's basically saying, hey, look, the goal of being in the word of God 
is to give us truths that not only transforms our lives, but equips us to deal with the enemy who's out there to defeat us, who's got plans. Did you guys recognize that? He has methods to which he uses to defeat you in your life. Now, he can't take away your salvation, but he can sure diminish your light. We talked about that last week, right? About how sin blocks our ability to be the light that God calls us to be. He, 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 it says we're not ignorant of his designs. We see all the deception that we see in the world from the enemy, right? He tries to deceive. He tries to undermine the foundations of Scripture by attacking creation and, and, and God's design. I love the little girl who came and asked her mom, and she said, how did the human race appear? And the mother said, well, darling, God made Adam and Eve, and they had children, and those children had children, and that's how we came to be. A few days later, she saw her dad, and her dad was sitting in a chair, and she asked her dad, how did, how did mankind come, come to, to, to be? And uh, the dad says, well, that's easy. He says, there were monkeys, and we evolved from monkeys. So the girl was confused. So she went back to the source of truth, her mother. And says, Mom, how is it possible that you told me the human race was created by God? And Dad said, they developed from monkeys. And the mother answered, well, dear, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family, and your father told you about his. <laughs> he's out to deceive. He's cunning. He's got plants. He knows what works and what doesn't. The question is, are we looking for what he does? That's why I love the movie Patton. I'm an ex-military guy. I was an officer in the Army. I served as a, in the infantry. I was in the Big Red One. Everybody knows the Big Red One was George Patton's army, right, in World War II. And as an officer in that army, you had to know about George Patton. So like any good officer who was in his 20s, uh, you know, they have all this reading material, so I watched the movie. It was a great movie, right? Great movie. <laughs> but my favorite part in the movie is in Africa, and he's fighting Rommel, the greatest of the German generals, if they had listened to Rama, we'd all probably be speaking German today. Thankfully, they didn't. But Patton is out there, and he's in this battle, and he's on this mountain. He's watching his, his forces go against Rama, and he's got his binoculars, and he's looking, and he's watching what he's doing, and he's counteracting, and he's in the glasses, and he looks out, and he says, Rommel, I read your book. Because <laughs> he knew what he would do. And he was able to gain victory because he knew what he was going to do. And that's the whole point of what's happening here. Daniel's praying. He doesn't know what's happening around him. He thinks his prayers are just going out there. And all around there's a spiritual battle taking place. So much so that the messenger needed Michael the archangel, right, to come on his behalf. And Mark, Michael's a, a bad dude, right? Not in a negative sense. But Michael comes, frees him up to come to give Daniel the answer to his prayers. I think we have to understand that, you know what, there's a battle going on. Think about what the Bible says about the enemy. Matthew 4 tells us he's a tempter. 1 Peter 5 says he's a lion roaming to destroy. Revelation 12, 9 said he's a deceiver. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says he masquerade as an angel of light. Revelations 12, 10 said he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the ultimate guilt trip is what it really means. And John 8, 44 said he's a murderer and the father of all lies in Ephesians. Let me read this one, because this is the one I think hampers us all. He's behind the spirit of disobedience. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
That's why I always say the Bible spells love, O-B-E-Y. How we follow the truth that is set before us. How do we honor God by living the truth that he has in force? That's why I love, when you look at those songs, there's probably enough truth in there to carry those kids into adulthood when you think about it, about who Jesus is, what he does for them, who's in control. To me, I think we always have to recognize that. Matthew 13 said he's actively working to keep people from coming to Christ. In other words, to stop the spread of the gospel. And for him, it is war. It's warfare. And so it should be for us. How many remember when you first came to know that Jesus Christ was truly the Lord? Truly the Son of God who died for your sins so that you could have a relationship with the Father. Did things go really well right after that? Or did he come in to steal the truth right from you? It's no coincidence. It's what the Bible says he would do. It's what he does. And let me tell you something. He's the great deceiver. He takes what God gives us and he transforms it and changes it. He has his own verse. He has his own Bible. You know what? He has his own Beatitudes. You all know the Beatitudes, Christ's famous Sermon on the Mount. Let me give you his. Blessed are those who are too tired, too busy, too distracted to spend even an hour once a week with their fellow Christians. They are my best workers. Blessed are those Christians who wait to be asked and expect to be thanked. I can use them. Blessed are the touchy who stop going to church, for they are my missionaries. Blessed are the troublemakers, for they shall be called my children. Blessed are the complainers, for their complaints are music to my ears. Blessed are those who keep a list of the preacher's mistakes, for they get nothing out of his sermons. Blessed is the church member who expects to be invited to his own church, for he is a part of the problem instead of the solution. Blessed are those who gossip, for they cause strife and divisions that please me. Blessed are those who are easily offended, for they soon will get angry and quit. Blessed are those who do not give an offering to carry on God's work, for in stealing from God, you steal for me. Blessed, are, blessed is he who professes to love God, but hates his brother and sister, for he shall be with me forever. Blessed are you who, when you hear this, think the preacher is talking about someone other than you. For I've got you right where I want you. Man, the devil takes what God does he deceives, he lies, he, he, he masquerades as an angel of light. He's the tempting, he's tempting, he's devouring, he's deceiving, he's masquerading, he's accusing, he's lying, he's disobedient, and he causes us to disobey. That's his work. So what does Daniel do in the midst of all this conflict, knowing there's this cosmic spiritual battle going on, because he knows what he sees and, 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 and what is in front of him is spiritual and invisible, and it's happening all around him. He gets on his knees. In other words, he joins the resistance. He joins the resistance. James 4 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 9, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. What about Jesus when he was tempted the three times? How did he respond? Anything he would have said would have been the word. He could have said anything, and it would end up being the word of God. But what he answers every time he's tempted 
is using the word of God that it was already there. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us, amen? It should be all we need to stand firm, to stand in truth. Hebrews 4 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Remember, Hebrews starts off in verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve the sake for those who inherit salvation? In other words, he's saying, hey, look, angels, there's demons out there, there's no doubt, but there's more angels than there are demons, and the Bible says they're sent to serve us. The Bible says sometimes you may not recognize, but you may be unaware that you are actually in the presence of angels. It's interesting, I heard this testimony, these... Uh, uh, it was actually a police show, and they were, sh they were showing this guy who was a rapist, convicted racist, how they caught him. And they had this camera in this building, and they watched this girl walk in, a uh, beautiful young girl, 23 years old. She walks through, and he does nothing to her. The next girl that comes through, he raped and brutally killed. And when they caught him, they wanted to know what was the difference between the two girls. And what he said was, well, that the first girl had those two guys with her. We're going to take on two guys to get to one girl. And they're saying, two guys, there was nothing in the video. And the girl said, man, I was walking home. I just felt the Spirit of God asking me to pray. Because they asked her, what was the deal? She goes, I was praying all the way home for the Lord's protection. It's interesting. Sometimes we don't realize how God works. When Daniel started praying 21 days ago, God started to work on his behalf. He couldn't understand it. He couldn't comprehend it. And to me, it looked to his mind, maybe God wasn't doing anything. But guess what? God was doing everything on behalf of Daniel. So that brings us to the third point that I want you to get today. God's strength. And hear this. God's strength in our lives is made perfect in weakness. Verse 17, how can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me. No breath is left in me. In other words, when he got into the presence of a divine being, he had nothing. Because you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing we can give God because he needs nothing from us. At the end of, the, of time, the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus is Lord. And that's the purpose of our life, is to give him glory. And here he is, he's got no strength, and he says, having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. And I love this next part. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened, and I said, Lord, let, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. To me, until you understand your weakness, you won't ever be able to appreciate God's strength. Until you ever get before God with nothing to give him and recognize he has everything to give you, you'll never understand the greatness of God. And Daniel was able to do that. He was able to empty himself and say, Lord, fill me with your strength, with your vision, your hope, your truth, so that I can stand I love Ephesians where it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you were once lived in the passions, here we go, your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and your mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and has seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What that tells me is that no matter what's going on around me that I can't see, all I have to know is what I do see. That as I stand in God's truth, in God's power, in God's presence, nothing in the world can have an effect on me because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, the Bible tells us. And God's going to use our lives for his intended purposes at his intended time. So we got to recognize that God cares about us more than we ever really know. And he's doing more than we know and can comprehend and his strength is made perfect in weakness. I love John said, I've said these things to do that you may have peace In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When we look at our world and we see the political conflict and the the cultural conflicts and the race conflicts, we see, is there hope? To me, there's hope in Christ, for he has overcome the world. I stand amazed as I look at our world and the, the absurdity that we see on both sides of the aisle on TV, in our movies. I was watching a clip that somebody played of Bill Maher where he was saying he was praying, even though he's an atheist, praying for a recession so people will stop talking about Trump and the economy. And I'm thinking how sad that is, that we've got to pray for people to be disadvantaged in order for you to get your point across. To me, we stand in a world that is in utter conflict, and the only hope we have is Christ. And the only way we can engage that hope is on our knees before him, humbly submitting to his truth, his word, and his plan for our lives. 1 John 5 says, For everyone has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Isn't that true? It's what saves us, right? Jesus is what saves us, our faith in him. My story is, for a lot of you may not know, I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic high school. uh, And um, when I went away to college, I went down to Arkansas to play baseball. And so when I went down there, my roommate was from Wynn, Arkansas. And uh, he wasn't my initial roommate. I had one roommate that was really kind of weird. He would go jogging every night, and he'd come home and take the clothes he was wearing. Remember, it's Arkansas, so it's hot and sweaty, and hang them up and never wash them. After a few days, it was kind of tough. And so... I was in the cafeteria Sunday night by myself, and this guy walked in with a couple friends, and they said, hey, you care if we eat with you? And I said, no. And we started talking, and as we started talking, the one guy, I thought he was a pretty nice guy, he needed a roommate, and I'm thinking, man, I, I need a new roommate. <laughs> so the next thing you know, one thing led to another, we became roommates. And all semester long, we kept, he kept hammering me about the truth in Scripture, which I'll be honest with you, I really didn't know. I knew a little bit, but not a whole lot. And I saw a guy who had a relationship with God that I didn't have. I knew God, but I didn't really know God. 
And when he kept talking about a God like he was his friend, like it was his father, like it was his friend, it just it made me want to have that kind of relationship. You know, he shared with me basically God's design for us, how God made us and how God made the world. And he shared, shared with me how, you know, when we do things that are offense to God and we disobey, it's called sin. And when sin comes in the world, guess what? It leads to brokenness. And the world tries to fill that brokenness with things like their careers and their relationships or money or fame, whatever it may be. Sometimes alcohol, sometimes whatever, sex, pornography. And brokenness just can't be filled by anything but God. And he said, look, God gave us the gospel. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ. He came down as a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for your sins, my sins, and all sins. And that gospel, if you believe and you repent, gives us the ability to pursue and recover and live like as God's designed us. And in discussing that, we talked about it, and I realized, you know what? I don't know that God. And when I accepted that I didn't know him and confessed I'm a sinner in need of a savior, he came into my life and he changed me. I didn't change me, he did. And in doing so, he set my life on a course that if I could go back to that moment in time and he would have told me all the things that I would have to go through, I think I may have changed my mind. But man, I'm so glad I didn't. Man, I, I know now when I, when, I, when I die, it's someday that, you know, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to see my son who's already there. I'm going to see my parents who I knew believed. You know, it's, it's, it, it changes the way you look at life. It changes how you go through life, how you go through circumstances. I could tell you when I was in the hospital, my daughter, you know, she was six years old, seven. My wife, I always tell the story the wrong way. She, she had heart surgery, and they fixed her valve. And a, a year later, it calcified. So that aortic valve turned out to be, instead of just pumping blood normally, it became like a pressure washer. Barely anything getting out of there. And um, she, uh, when she was in the hospital, I'm thinking, man, my wife, we just had a, a baby who passed. And she was, you know, um, having some issues. And she's in there. And she was beating herself up about it because she thought, how could I not recognize the signs? How could I not recognize the signs? And so when I was in there, I thought, Lord, I, you know, I can handle all this but i just don't want my wife to be in a situation i need her through this and so i started to fast like daniel did right there in the hospital and you know was touch and go for days and i'm i'm, I'm sleeping in the um, intensive care uh, waiting room and i'm half asleep and i hear this person now this is incredible this woman come in and her, she has a son the same age as my daughter brooke same exact age i may have told you this before but i'm gonna tell you it again because it's worth it same exact age He's in there at the same time my daughter's struggling. We're not knowing if she's going to live or die. And she's telling her mother how they don't, he's in surgery at the moment, how she just doesn't know how this happened. And she says, I just can't believe it. You know, she, he had just had a, uh, a full checkup a month ago. And so right there in the middle of my half sleep, I get up and I look at her and I says, you know what? I got to tell you, your son's going to be fine. And she looked at me and she goes, what are you talking about? I said, listen, I tell her my story with my wife, and I'd been praying for the Lord for the last few days to send me something that I can give my wife that would change the way she feels right now. And I ran out of the room, I got my wife, I brought her back, 
and they started having a conversation. They both encouraged each other, and then both kids were eventually fine. I mean, they had issues, but they were fine. That's how God works, right? That's how God works. And so, to me, when we truly humble ourselves and get before God, so I don't know what's going on in your lives this morning, but I'd imagine in a crowd this size, everybody's got some kind of issue. Everybody's got something going on in their lives right now that they need divine intervention from. And if you don't, then maybe you're in that place where you're not aware of the devil working against you, working against your family. If you're a father, I know you've got to always be mindful of how the enemy's trying to attack your kids. I know if you're a husband and wife, you've got to remember how he's always trying to attack your marriage. To me, when you look at how we, things have gone in our country, we try to defend traditional marriage. I'm thinking it's not traditional marriage. The Bible said it's biblical marriage. It's what God designed for mankind. Keep it holy, he says, right? And then we know people do fail and there are issues there and people find themselves in other situations, but it still doesn't mean in that new situation they don't keep it holy. I don't know what's going on in your life. It could be personal. It could be professional. It could be whatever it is. But I got to tell you this morning, what we learned from Daniel is really easy. Hey, God loves me so I can be secure where I'm at. I know he cares about me. I know I'm not out there on my own. And all I know that I can't comprehend and understand all the things he's doing, but as I rest in his strength, even though I'm weak, it's amazing what he will do and what he'll show you. That's for everyone. To me, that's what we tell our kids in VBS, man. A, right? Admit you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus died for your sins. And C, confess that he is Lord, right? Because that's the purpose of the church, is to get the gospel out there. We know we're at warfare. We come in here to get fired up, to go out in the world where it's game on every week. Every day, every minute, it's game on. And if you don't think those 16 kids who said, okay, Jesus, I want you in my life, aren't going to be attacked, you're wrong. And that's where we come in. The work of the church isn't over when VBS is over. The work of the church begins and ends when Jesus comes back. I mean, we got to be praying for these kids until he comes. We got to be praying for each other. We got to be praying for parents and marriages and, and just the gospel to go forth, right? We're going to have fun this afternoon. We're going to go out and have hot dogs and, you know, do. There's no dunk tank this year, thank God. And that's all great. We, 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 we fellowship and we get excited about what God's doing to do one thing, to get out in the world and do battle, make war for the cause of Christ. Amen? I'd like everybody here just to bow your heads as we close. Lord, I know that you are at work. I know, Lord, that your desire is for all men and women to come to know you. I know, Lord, that you desire for us, Lord, to know your truth, to stand firm in it, and to stand firm in the faith because it's what you call us to do. It's what you enable us to do. Lord, I also know the enemies out there. The first thing he does is to try to prevent people from accepting the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask if there's anyone here that today who's never said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, my sin, sin stands before you, and your Father, and you know what, Lord, I need a covering for that sin, and I know you went to the cross at Calvary to do just that, to shed your blood, to cover my sin, and make me whole so I can stand in your righteousness and have a relationship with the Father for eternity. 
And if they've never done that and never asked the Lord in your life, I'd like you to raise your hand this morning right where you're at. Right where you're at. I'd also like to ask you, if you're finding yourself in a position where you are trying to do things on your own strength, you've got your own plan for life, and it doesn't include the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I want you to, right where you're sitting right now, just ask God, Lord, I need to humble myself before you, and I need your strength. For even my best plans and my biggest skills and my expertise is meaningless in front of you. Without you, nothing of eternal value will happen. I need you to guide me and direct me. Correct me. Re-establish, Lord, the path for me that I may walk in it in obedience to your truth. And as we close and as we sing, Lord, I just pray that you would just work in the hearts of all the men and women in here. I thank you for all the blessings of the week. I thank you for the joy you give us, knowing that, Lord, you greatly love us and that you're always working for us. Romans says all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, and we can trust in that. And as we find ourselves relying and resting in your strength, in your truth, we help us, Lord, to stand in and make a difference for the cause of your Son, Jesus Christ, in the world around us. Lord, may we bring it to the altar. May we bring it right where we sit. But may we praise you as we sing now. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.